And remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 24 this morning. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and every place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves." Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you, go, when, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that your, the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who, is, who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then turning to the disciples, He said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. And as you do, if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. 
Lord, as Paul says in Corinthians, we desire to know nothing except for Christ and Him crucified. Lord, you are with Paul in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And I pray that my speech and my message this morning may be not in plausible words and wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that our faith might not rest, Lord, in the wisdom of men, but that our faith might rest in the power of God. We ask for your blessing of your Holy Spirit. Please move and guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know there was a long scripture passage this morning, and I'm sorry if you were tired as you were, we were reading through that, but it is, um, well, all scripture is good, but uh, uh, it was necessary for us to read all of that. Um, uh, this past weekend, my boys and I took a little trip. We went up to Richmond, Indiana. Um, there has been a member of our family, actually it predates our family, um, before actually Stephanie and I even met, uh, that we traded in this past weekend for a new vehicle. It was really sad um, to do that. That vehicle had been a part of me for the last 10 years and uh, 160,000 miles. Um, and it was a, a great, great vehicle for me, but it, it was time for us uh, to, uh, to trade that in. And uh, the boys and I took a trip. And if you can imagine the landscape between here and Richmond, Indiana, which is a little bit east of Indianapolis, uh, there's a lot of farmland. It was beautiful country. Uh, not a whole lot going on. Uh, a lot of rows of, of cornfields. Uh, and we actually passed through uh, several cotton fields as well. It was beautiful. Uh, some of the, the corn had already been picked. They were dying off. There were still some that were green. Uh, but the cotton fields were white. They were ready, and they were ready to be picked. I was hoping that we would see maybe some, uh, some harvesters going through the fields picking them. I know my boys love tractors. We didn't get to see that. Uh, but they were ripe. They were ready. Uh, and as I was studying the, the passage this week, uh, it just reminded me uh, of this, the fact that the harvest is ready. Uh, it's ready to be picked. I love this time of the year. I love the fall. The weather is changing now, uh, it's getting cooler, thankfully, and uh, the, the crops uh, are, are being gathered in, and uh, this morning we're going to use this image of the harvest, of the fields, and God is going to use this to call us to mission. Because we are all on mission as witnesses of Christ, Jesus gives us clear direction on how to live our lives. Now, as we read through this passage in Luke chapter 10, uh, it's easy for us to immediately say, well, this is a passage for missionaries. I hope that Marie read this passage or will read this passage before she goes uh, to the next place God is calling her. Uh, it's a great passage for Bradford and Christina, our missionaries this month, uh, as they're uh, ministering to college students at RUF, uh, at Hendricks and UCA. But this passage is not just for them. This is for us. Because this isn't just a passage for missionaries. Uh, as we talked about during our vision series a couple of weeks ago, we're all worshipers and we're all witnesses. This is part of our vision. 
Uh, let me remind you of our statement. Trinity Fellowship Church desires to glorify God by equipping a community of believers to worship God and be witnesses of Him in central Arkansas and to the ends of the earth. Uh, Steve Sanford did a great job of reminding us of that this past week, that it's important what happens here, but it's also maybe even more important what happens out there during the week uh, as we go about our lives. So as Jesus sends out the 72, uh, if you have a different translation, it may say the 70. Uh, that's based on which ancient text is being used here. Uh, we're not going to try to figure out if it's actually 70 or 72. It, it doesn't make a huge difference with the text, uh, but there is a difference there. Just wanted to let you know about that. Um, as he sends out these disciples, let's look at the various aspects of this calling and let's apply it to our situation here at Trinity. Uh, let's actually start at verse 2. Uh, let's understand the theological implications of what is happening here. Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Theologically, let's understand what's happening here. As good, reformed, PCA folk, we believe in the sovereignty of God. This is very strongly evident here. God has been plowing. He has been sowing. He has been cultivating. He has been hoeing the field. He has been watering it. He has been doing the work in his harvest field. This is his field, it is his harvest, he is the Lord of it, and God in his sovereignty has been doing the work. And at this point, he sends us as laborers, not to change people's hearts, but to reap what he has sown. If you remember in the book of Acts, uh, Peter has this vision of a sheet that is lowered down and it has unclean animals and and God, uh, he hears a voice and God tells him to, to kill and eat. Basically what God is doing is saying that, that don't call anything unclean that God ha has made. And what he's telling Peter is that the gospel is not just for Jews, it's for Gentiles as well. And so what, it, what happens after Peter sees this vision? He hears a knock at the door. And it's men from uh, a Gentile who were sent to Peter to bring him to share the good news with some Gentiles. God had been preparing the hearts of people, and he was using Peter there uh, to preach the gospel. God is the one who is at work. Think of it this way. It's like having your three-year-old help you on a woodworking project. Um, I like to work with wood. Uh, I have a pretty major project that we're doing at our house right now. And Maddie Grace loves to help me. Uh, and it is a joy to have her right beside me uh, as we're making progress on this project. And um, you, as, you don't have to be a parent to know what's going on there. <laughs> you understand what is happening. Uh, and it is a joy and a privilege to be able to work with my daughter. And how great of a privilege is it for her to know that she that she is helping out her father. 
It's a joy to do that with her. It's not always easy. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's easier to do things on your own. But it is a joy and a privilege uh, to do that with her. You see, the Lord of the harvest has placed us in a wide variety of fields that are ripe for the harvest. And he is using us to work alongside of him in what he is doing. As a Christian in the neighborhood in which you live, you are a laborer in a field that is ripe for the harvest. In your office, you're not only an employee of the company, but a laborer in God's harvest field that is ready for the picking. In our very homes, we are laborers in the harvest field of the Lord. So not only is Jesus sending out these 72, but he is also imploring them to pray that God would send out more laborers. He is calling us to pray for more disciples of Christ to live life on mission, to live life as witnesses for Christ. Not only should we be praying for our missionaries that are currently on the field, for Tom and Karen, for Marie, for Bradford, uh, for Steve Sanford, uh, for others that we support, we should be praying for them. Uh, and uh, we have committed to that uh, as a church, uh, to pray for, for one a month, uh, to really focus uh, our attention on praying for them. But we also need to pray that God would raise up more. And not just people to send onto the mission field, and what I mean by that is in other places and in other cultures, but that would, God would raise up the desire inside of us. That God would raise up more, uh, more believers more who can go on mission in, uh, in the fields that he calls us to. If you are noticing this morning, we have a pretty routine order of worship that we go through. And there was something missing this morning. We didn't have the pastoral prayer. Well, we're going to respond with that. We're still going to have it. But we're going to respond with, the way that, with what God calls us to this morning, is to pray that God would send out laborers. So don't worry, we're still going to have the prayers of the people, but we're going to use that as a response uh, to hearing God's word this morning. So Jesus calls these 72, and he sends them out on mission two by two. This is a very important point here. He doesn't send them out individually, he sends them out with a partner. And you can imagine why this is. Uh, for one, it's for encouragement. It's not an easy row to hoe that they will have. Uh, it's going to be up and down emotionally. It's very difficult to go at this alone. They need each other for support. Another reason that he sends them out two by two is so that they can be a display of the gospel to others as well. Because how these two individuals treat each other will display the gospel to others. Scripture tells us that the world will know that we are disciples of Christ by how we love one another. Now, when you think of people going out two by two as witnesses, um, you probably don't think about this passage. You probably think about 
Mormons, or maybe Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, you see those, them out, and they're usually going in, in groups of two, or, or maybe even a couple more. And imagine if uh, a group of, of Mormon missionaries came to your house, you invited them in, and as they were sitting down on the couch across from you, they started bickering with one another, uh, contradicting each other, uh, taking cheap shots at one another. How attractive would that be? Would you want uh, to listen to what they, they say? Uh, would you want to be a part of that? True brotherly love, genuine care and concern for one another, that is what is attractive. And so as these 72 are going off in pairs, they are displaying the gospel through how they treat each other and the love that they show for one another. As, as Jesus tells us in John 13, verse 34. The unbelieving world looks at Christians who can't get along with one another, and they say to themselves, why would I want to be a part of something like that? So they do it for encouragement, to display the gospel. They also do it for protection. Jesus says in, in verse 3 there, Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. They're there to watch each other's backs, to help protect one another, because they are truly being sent out as sheep among wolves. As long as Satan is allowed to roam the earth, it will be dangerous to live as Christians. When a student or, or someone makes a profession of faith, uh, one of the things that I do afterwards as kind of a charge to them is to warn them. Because when we stand up here and we profess our faith in Christ, when we declare our allegiance to our Lord and Savior, we open ourselves up as a target for Satan. He doesn't like it when people profess their faith in Christ, and he will go after them. And we need to support and encourage one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, when I was in seminary living in central Florida, there in Orlando, uh, the influence of Gainesville and of Tallahassee was very strong there. Uh, there were some UCF fans, but mostly people were either uh, pledged their allegiance to the University of Florida as Gator fans or to FSU as Seminole fans. And once you pledged your allegiance... The other side was not very happy about that. Uh, I had a buddy who, uh, I, going into Central Florida, I really didn't have an allegiance either way. I had a buddy who was a huge Gator fan. He brought me to some games. Uh, Tim Tebow was playing at, in Florida at that point, so it was, it was an easy time to be a Gator fan. Uh, but once I pledged my allegiance to the Gators, those FSU fans, they didn't like it. They would take cheap shots at the Gator fans. Uh, this is what is going on here. Uh, when we pledge our allegiance to Christ, we open ourselves up for attacks from Satan. And we need one another for encouragement, for strength, uh, for a shoulder, for support. God doesn't send us out on mission alone. We have the community of believers, the body of Christ. But we have something even greater. 
Christ says that he sends us out as sheep among wolves. Well, as sheep, we have our good shepherd. You know, as a shepherd, David protected his sheep from lions and bears, and he did it with his bare hands. Well, we have someone who is greater than David. We have someone who is our good shepherd. Christ is with us. Christ is protecting us. So Christ sends his disciples. He sends us out uh, with a community two by two. And he sends them out with little provisions for their journey. If you notice that as we were reading. And he sends them out with very clear instructions how to act. He says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. There's a sense of urgency there. A very strong sense of urgency. And later on, he says, don't move from house to house. Whenever you enter a town, eat what is set before you. Um, and, uh, and don't move around. Stay where you are. What he's doing here is he is calling us to trust in the Lord and what he provides. Honestly, this is a call for us to trust in the Lord and to be content with what God has given us, what he has provided for us. You know, as Christians, our perspective is very different from the West, rest of the world. We have a very different world view. Because our ultimate goal is not uh, to eat, drink, be merry. Uh, our ultimate goal is not uh, material possessions to uh, do what we possibly can in this life. Um, our ultimate goal is eternity. In business, our goal isn't uh, financial gain. It is the glory of Christ being revealed to the nations. Um, is making money wrong? Are material possessions a bad thing? Of course not. Of course not. Uh, but our possessions need to be viewed in light of our mission and in light of eternity. As uh, we as a family read recently the biography of George Mueller, and one of the things that really struck me was his view of his possessions. Uh, after he got married, his wife brought several uh, nice things into their marriage, uh, fine china, things like that. And his heart was broken because he knew he had to tell her that she needed to sell them. Because when they were called from their home in Tainmouth to move to Bristol, and the, in Bristol is where he started his, his home for, for orphans that grew into just a huge ministry. Thousands of thousands of orphans were cared for by George Mueller. When they realized that God was calling them to move to Bristol, guess how long it took them to pack up their possessions? An hour. And they were gone. I tell you, when Stephanie and I moved here, it took us a lot longer than an hour <laughs> to move our possessions. That um, was just very convicting to me because his view of the mission that God had him on, his view of eternity and his view of possessions. It's important for us to constantly be asking ourselves questions and evaluating how we are using our material blessings that God has given us. Are, are we holding on to things tightly? with closed fists, grasping them? 
Or are we holding them open, letting God use our houses, our vehicles, uh, our money for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom? So as these 72 are going out, as they're going out on this mission, Jesus tells them in verse 8, he says, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Heal the sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near. As he sends them out on mission, he sends them out on a mission of word and of deed. This is very, very important. The mission that he sends us on is twofold. He called them to heal the sick, and he called them to preach the good news of the kingdom of God drawing near. Now, there is a saying that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, It's debatable whether or not he actually said this. Uh, But he said, uh, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. That sounds really good. It sounds really good. Um, But the gospel proclamation can't simply be done through actions. It's verbal, too. And we need to be very, very mindful of that. I can feed the hungry all day long. But unless I tell them the good news about Jesus, they are not hearing the full gospel. On the other hand, I can tell people all day long about the love that God has for us in Christ. But if I myself am not showing love, what am I saying? It's like we were talking about before when he sends us out two by two to display the gospel and how we relate to one another. It needs to be a combination of word and of deed. This is the complete gospel. I mean, just look at the life of Jesus. He went healing but preaching the gospel and teaching. He never just healed people. He was always preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. I think it's easier for us to do simply to, to simply do just kind acts. It's a little harder for us to speak the truth of the gospel to others, but it has to be both word and deed. As we move through our passage this morning, we get to a very difficult set of verses here. Uh, In the midst of sending out his disciples, Jesus calls down woe on certain cities for their response to the good news. Or, in other words, their lack of response to the good news. This is very, very serious. Because this is so serious, because the response of people is so serious, the sense of urgency that we have should be very profound. Because the response that we have to the gospel affects not just our life here, it affects eternity. So first of all, it should create a sense of urgency in our own lives, in our own faith, in our own understanding of the gospel, do I personally believe the gospel? It also should create a sense of urgency in sharing the gospel with others. 
he calls down woe on these cities here. And he says that these cities and the people who don't respond rightly to the gospel are in worse shape than the people of Sodom. Now you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? It's kind of hard to imagine people being in worse shape than that. Uh, God rained down fire from heaven to destroy them. He couldn't find ten righteous people there. They were so wicked that he had to wipe them off the face of the earth. Why is it worse off for these places described here? Because they have seen the Lord's Messiah and they've rejected him. That is extremely serious. So what does this mean for us today? Uh, Plain and simple, like these cities, we are on this side of history, this side of Christ. He has come. We have a full view of the gospel. We know it. We've heard it several times. Uh, If we reject Christ at this point, the same woes are on us that are on Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum. Rejecting the message of the gospel is rejecting Christ. Rejecting Christ is rejecting God who has sent him. And what is more serious than the rejection of God? So, in summary, we are on mission just like these 72. God has called us to this. Christ has sent us out into the harvest field as laborers. He has sent us out not individually, but with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. He calls us to be content with what he has given to us. He calls us to trust in his provision. He calls us to preach the gospel in word and in deed, always with a sense of urgency. And he calls us to mission knowing that God is sovereignly at work not only in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us, in the mission fields that he has placed us. So the disciples return from this journey, and in verses 17 through 25, we see that they are all about joy. They come back rejoicing. The disciples are simply ecstatic. They're like, Jesus, you cannot imagine the things that we saw. We were casting out demons in your name. And this is a big deal. If you remember a couple of passages ago, um, they had struggled with this. When Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, they couldn't do it. They were trying to drive out a demon, and they simply could not. At this point, uh, they could, and they saw it happening. Jesus acknowledges that he has given his disciples power, and he even says that he saw Satan falling from his place. Now, that's a tough uh, that's a tough verse uh, to understand really what's going on there. We don't know if, if Jesus is describing what he saw earlier uh, in history when Satan fell from heaven. Uh, we don't know if he's describing that situation right there. Uh, whether or not it's previous, whether or not it's present, we understand that the power of God has defeated Satan. And that's the important thing. We do... We do not go out as laborers into the harvest field in our own strength, but we go with the power of God. Steve Irby reminded us last week that God gave us a spirit not of fear, 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that power is made manifest through the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 verse 8, Christ says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what do we mean by this power? Well, a big part of the power that Christ has given us through the Holy Spirit is giving us courage to speak. The power of the Holy Spirit is manifest directing conversations to the gospel. Not just talking to your neighbors or coworkers about the weather or the football game this past weekend, but going deeper. Taking the opportunity when you're getting your hair done to talk to your hairdresser about the Lord. I'm always convicted about that when I'm sitting there. Now, granted, uh, to do my hair usually takes about five minutes, so I, I don't have a lot of opportunity there. But, you know, people usually ask, so what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. And uh, either it gets real quiet at that point, and they don't know what to say, uh, or, you know, I, I try to draw the conversation to the gospel. Um, those are great opportunities. You have a captive audience. Um, whatever amount uh, of time that you have with others, um, God has given us the power by his Holy Spirit, not only to show the gospel in deed, but also in word as well. Is it awkward sometimes? You bet. It could be. But that's the power that God has given us, to overcome that awkwardness, to know that God is working in and through us. Well, Jesus says this, if you think that's amazing, that God's given you power to overcome demons, well, I've got one better for you. He says there's something even greater, something that should bring us even more joy. He says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And later he says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Having power over demons is great, but having your names written in heaven is takes joy to a whole new level. Because the power over demons that's temporary. Having your name written in heaven is eternal. If you had to choose between a temporary temporary joy and an eternal joy, which one would you choose? A lot of times we choose the temporary. I'll be honest, I do. But God has given us this eternal joy. And finally, in conclusion, think of this. Jesus takes his disciples aside privately and he says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and they did not see it. Hear what you hear and they did not hear it. The disciples had something that Moses, that Elijah Abraham, David, Noah, Solomon, Ruth, Esther, Isaiah, all these heroes of the faith. The disciples had something that these people had never seen. They had never seen Christ. And the disciples got to spend three years with him. The disciples had the joy of seeing the manifestation of God in the flesh. David never experienced that. He wrote all those beautiful psalms of joy to the Lord, but he never got to experience Christ in the flesh. Remember, there was nothing special about these disciples. God chose to reveal himself in this way to them. 
It wasn't anything that they did. They did. It was God's gracious will. And the same is true with us. We have so much to rejoice in as Christians because God has revealed himself to us. Not because we're more special than others, but God has chosen to reveal himself according to his gracious will. Simply the grace of God. And this should drive us to joy. You know, it's, it's not always easy to live in the joy. Uh, the devil tries very hard to rob us of joy. He makes us busy. He creates chaos in our lives, strife in relationships. But God the Father, according to his gracious will, has revealed the gospel to us who are like little children. Romans 8 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life Neither angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I pray that this would bring us joy.